Hi lovely, welcome to Bloom Best Stories. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kate, I'm a passionate mama of three and a doula and I absolutely adore listening to women share their sacred birth stories. This is a loving space just for that. Each week I'll be chatting to women across Australia as they share their unique, very special journey to baby. Christina joins me on the podcast this week to share her two birth stories. She is so down to earth and speaks very candidly about her experiences. Two vaginal births, the first one leaving her feeling not so great. She then went on to do her hypnobirthing practitioner training, use those tools, and then had a very positive and powerful experience the second time round. A lovely, refreshing episode and a great insight into hypnobirthing. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. Would you like to firstly introduce yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be able to share this story with um, you and your listeners today. Um, So I'm Christina. I live out in the Yarra Valley in Melbourne um, with my husband, Neil, my daughter, Violet, who is two and a half, and my son, Phoenix, who is five months. And then we've got our two French Bulldogs who are very much our original fur babies. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. So did you want to go from the very beginning, your first conception, how was that journey for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple of months after Neil and I got married, we thought we would start trying for kids. Um, I had been actually on the pill for 21 years without a break. So I really didn't know how quickly my body was going to take to regulate. Um, If I could get pregnant, I've never had any scares. So that was a little bit daunting, um, kind of coming off the pill and not knowing how my body was going to react. But it all went really well. Um, I got my cycle back within a month. Um, and then three months after that, Violet was conceived. So even though we were trying, it was still a huge shock um, and a massive surprise because in my head, I thought, you know, let's give it at least six months before we really, you know, start timing ovulation and things like that. So um, yeah, that was a real shock and I had to tell someone. So I told my dog Nugget, um, who <laughs> really, <laughs> funnily enough, um, he actually knew I was going into labor before I did. So he started acting really strange. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he followed the labor very closely and he was the first one to know. Oh, cutie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. And how was your pregnancy? My pregnancy was good. Second and third trimester were great. Um, First trimester, the first six weeks, I was absolutely wrecked. I could just fall asleep at any time, anywhere. I was just so exhausted. Um, And I had about a 10-day period where my body just didn't know what was going on. So I got a migraine, which is really unusual for me. Um, I got a kidney infection. I got an all-over body rash um, and I got... Uh, gestational diabetes so that was at 12 weeks and I was tested at 13 Um, and then I pretty much had to start changing my food uh, from 14 weeks so I think once I kind of got that down pat um, I felt a thousand times better and just a lot more energized because I'd put on like four kilos in the first month which is a lot for me because I'm not 
like very tall um, and it felt like it just went straight to my face. So I had to, actually had to tell work at six weeks that I was pregnant and buy new pants on the way to work because I had just, yeah, put on a lot of weight very, very quickly. Mm, interesting. I guess all of us, each body responds so differently, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like obviously there was a lot of like hormonal changes and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a strange feeling. I could really feel when the diabetes started. Um, but during my pregnancies, um, both of them, I've never been healthier. Um, so second and third trimester were really great. Um, and I feel very blessed to be one of those people who actually loved being pregnant um, and probably felt at my best when I was pregnant. Obviously, you've got the ligament pains and, you know, pelvic girdle pain and some sciatica and getting up to pee 10 times a night and all those normal things. Um, but outside of those little niggly things, I actually felt really, really great throughout pregnancy, which was oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And what, how are you feeling that made you feel like you had gestational diabetes? I have a massive sweet tooth anyway. Um, and I'm a lover of carbs. So it was kind of just that, but like on steroids, like <laughs> I'd have like three breakfasts. I was just constantly like there's ravenous when, you know, when you breastfeed, you get really, really ravenous, especially in those early days. But this was something else. It was honestly, it was like I was possessed. So <laughs> it would just be like I'd have to have muffins and hot chocolate and my usual breakfast and then I'd get to work and I'd have a whole other breakfast. Um, and so I was just drinking heaps of water and I felt really like in, like an insatiable appetite, which, yeah, it just felt quite manic. It didn't, yeah, I didn't feel good. Um, and then obviously that caused me to put on a lot of weight. So the GP just said, let's do some early testing. It'd be very strange for you to have it at this stage, but we'll do the test. And it came back positive. Mm, yeah. Okay. So then that was just managed through diet. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily, um, which really taught me a lot and yeah, I know a lot of people are probably really disappointed when they get gestational diabetes. Um, and I guess it was a bit confusing because you have to learn all about different foods and how they affect your body and what affects one person doesn't necessarily affect the next. Um, so, but it was a really, really, really great learning for me. Um, and just knowing how different foods affected my body as well. So, yeah, it was, I honestly, I it was a blessing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just made sure that I was really healthy um, and really aware of, you know, fitness and staying mobile as well. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people say that when they have yeah. gestational diabetes and said, well, actually, I really looked after myself, so I'm grateful for that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And your model of care, where were you birthing? So I I guess I was so confused, like completely overwhelmed, I guess like a lot of first-time mums um, with what the options were. So my GP did take me through the options, but, you know, when you receive any big news like pregnancy, you go into a bit of a other headspace, things get a little bit cloudy. So I decided to go um, public because my sister had actually gone public with her two births. Um, and that's really what got me interested in birthing myself because I saw my niece and my nephew being born. Um, my, yeah, my, I saw my nephew being born when I was 16 and my sister was 20. 
So that was great contraception because I waited another <laughs> 20 plus years to have my own kids. Um, and, uh, and then I saw my niece being born nine years ago. So that kind of really got me excited about birthing. So I was really happy to go with the public um, level uh, model, sorry, of care. And, um, and then I did like a GP shared care just because where we are out in the Yarra Valley, um, the doctors is on our street. So it's very, very easy, you know, to, to um, visit her, whereas the hospital is an hour away. So we um, did that and that worked really, really well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Did you do any birth education throughout your pregnancy? So my husband and I just did the um, stock standard hospital uh, education, which mm-hmm. was really great and really interesting, but it is quite basic. Um, and I guess it talks a lot more about interventions rather than optimal birthing positions and empowering the mum in different ways to deal with pain that isn't medicalized. So those were things that I really wasn't aware of um, until I had not so not such a great first birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't worried, you know, I was, I guess I was like your kind of stock standard mum that was like, I'll go with the flow. I'm open to getting an epidural. I'm open to gas and air. Um, I knew I didn't want morphine. Um, and you know, I was like, I'll just go with the flow and see what happens. And in hindsight, that was probably my biggest mistake. Um, just kind of not empowering myself to know what my options were because when the time came to it, I really had no tools to pull upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And going into Violet's birth, what did what did that look like? So I guess I remember when I was speaking to oh, right at the end, like three weeks before I was actually uh, going to give birth, I got put into the midwifery group practice. So apparently I'd put my name down, which I didn't remember in my very early haze of finding out I was pregnant. Um, and a few weeks before they said, do you want a midwife um, assigned to you? And I thought, great, more so because of like continuity of care afterwards. Um, and so I got assigned this lovely midwife, Georgia, and I had the rest of my appointments with her and we put together a birth plan and that was all really, really great. Um, and then so I was feeling really positive about that. And then my first signs uh, with Violet was um, I don't usually get period pain, so I'm very lucky like that. But if I do, it's pain in my back. And so I started getting some uh, lower back pain the day before I gave birth and I thought, "Mm, you know, it could just be anything. It could just be, um, you know, it's the normal aches and pains that you tend to get. Um, And through doing some research myself, I kind of knew that those pains can start many weeks before you actually give birth. Um, And that kind of carried on, on and off. So I took some Panadol and just kind of rested up, had a bath, um, cleaned out my car. I should have known I was going into labour when I cleaned the oven that probably hadn't been done properly in two years, Um, (laughs) but I just had to do it then and there, uh, much to my husband's amusement. So that was uh, probably the first signs of going into labour. And then, yeah, I just remember I called the hospital just to let them know that, you know, I wasn't too sure because I didn't feel any sensation at all in my stomach um, or at the front, nothing. So I was confused about whether I was in labour or not and I really didn't know anything about back labour 
either at the time. So, yeah, the midwife just said to me, look, you know, you could go on like this for weeks, just rest up, take it easy and, uh, you know, keep us in the loop. And I guess as the day progressed, I, um, you know, the surges intensified um, and they started to become closer together. And I guess I was quite overwhelmed with the pain um, and the pain in my back, which was excruciating um, and I kind of had no tools so I started to panic a little bit and I called the hospital um, and I just said to them you know it's been going now for probably probably like 12 hours um, and it's starting to be a bit unbearable like I'd like to come in because Violet also was moving a little bit less and I started to become concerned that you know I'd gotten to a certain stage of pregnancy and I was like I really just want to make sure that we get through to the finish line and that everything's okay um they were kind of reluctant for me to come in just for the sake of giving birth but they said obviously if you're concerned about your baby then do come in because we want to make sure that the baby's okay um so that yeah so that's what we did we headed in and um mum came over and she was with the dogs and took the dogs back to her place we headed into the hospital um and yeah I probably shouldn't have bothered to time my contractions in the car because I was sitting down and that was extremely painful um and also just because I was very like you know I had my phone with me. I was timing my contractions. I was writing it all down. Um, and that was really silly in hindsight. I should have just tried to breathe, but I didn't. Um, and then when we got to the hospital, they said, oh, you know, it's really early days. Come do some monitoring. We'll put you in a side room and see how the baby's doing. Sitting down again and having to stay still because um, I was hooked up, obviously, to the um, machinery. Um, that was excruciating, so I was quite uncomfortable with that. Um, and there'd been no other signs of labour um, at that stage. So my water hadn't broken. I hadn't lost my mucus plug. Um, so it was kind of just the the back pain. So even then I wasn't really 100% sure that I was actually in active labour, even though it was getting worse um, because the surges didn't really feel like tightenings. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. So I guess the next steps from there were they did some monitoring and then they said, all right, well, they said, would you like us to do a, no, I said, I'd like you to do an internal exam just so I know where I'm at. And they said, oh, we're kind of reluctant because a lot of the time it puts mums off um, and it kind of sets you back if you're not progressed enough and I said no no I I would like to know like where I'm at because I feel like my body has been doing work so I would be surprised if I hadn't progressed and so the midwife uh, kind of was reluctant to do that but she did it and I guess that's when things started to go a little bit pear-shaped just because I'd been speaking to her many times throughout the day and I kept on kind of saying to her like can you put me through to Georgia? I really want to speak to, you know, the midwife I've been given or someone else in the group. Um, and she was really refusing to do that. And then when, once I got there, I was like, please call Georgia. And she was like, I'm not going to call her. It's too early. She's going to miss your birth if she comes now. And I guess I really wanted 
Georgia there because I felt like I needed someone to advocate for me mm. um, when I felt like I really couldn't advocate for myself. Um, and I didn't know that it was actually an option to p- probably speak to a supervisor and maybe ask for a different midwife. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there was kind of like a lot of pushback. I felt like she didn't really believe that I was in labour. Um, anyway, she did the internal um, vaginal examination and she said, you're at three centimetres. And for me, I was like, great. I know a lot of people would be put off that and be really <laughs> disappointed. But for me, I was like, great, something's happening and it's happening fast. Like I can feel it progressing really quickly. <clears throat> so, um that was great news to me. And then the midwife said, but you're going to have to go home. And I said, why? And she said, well, anyone under four centimetres has to go back home. And I said, but you lived like, in legally, <laughs> I know well, that's what I said. I was like, legally, do I have to leave? And she said, no, not legally. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'm staying because exactly, I live an hour away. So that's two hours in the car going back and forth. And it being back labor, it was just horrid. So I was like, I'm not leaving, I'm staying. Um, and it was quite combative. I'd asked for the bath to be filled up um, before I even got in the car to come. I know it takes 45 minutes. So I was hoping that was ready. Um, and in the end, and I told her, like, I want an epidural as soon as I get there because I just don't know. Like, I don't feel like I need to deal with the pain if there's an option to not. Um, so, yeah, when I got there, there was no bath. She said they were still filling it up. Um, she really didn't believe that I was at progress in labour and kept on telling me I needed to go home. Um, then after she did the vaginal exam, I started to bleed quite heavily, um, which really scared me because it turns out that she'd done a stretch and sweep, not asked me or told me that she'd actually done it. I kind of just figured out that she had because of the motion. So I pressed the buzzer and she came back in the room and I said, I'm bleeding, like, and I was getting really panicked. Um, and I just said to her, like, is, are, you know, am I losing the baby? Because honestly, that's what I thought. And she said, oh, no, no, no. And I said, did you do a stretch and sweep? And she said, yeah. And I said, should I then be bleeding? And she goes, well, it's quite common, um, you know, that your cervix is probably going to be a little bit sensitive. And I just remember feeling really taken aback that I wouldn't have minded if she did one, um, but I would have liked to be consulted or at least explained that that was probably a good option to kind of help things progress. Um, But instead I went into a full-blown panic and I had a panic attack. Mm. And then she told me I needed to like calm down. So, which is not great to tell anyone (laughs) at any time, let alone when she's in the throes of labour. (laughs) so um I just remember asking her like if she could please leave the room so my husband and I could just be in there um together or if the birthing suite was ready or if the pool was ready and she said no you're not going into a birthing suite you're not going to give birth anytime soon and I'll check on the pool and I was like okay and I just remember looking at my husband going I am screwed here I'm completely screwed I was in so much pain I was panicking and I just felt like she wasn't listening to me and she was refusing to call my midwife. Mm. So then I remember going to the toilet and 
the dilation station, our nano, and things <laughs> progressed there so fast. And I just remember being stuck. It was almost like I was glued to the toilet. Like my contractions were just coming so fast and I couldn't get up. And I said to my husband, like, you're going to have to pull me up because I can't lift myself. I'm stuck in this seated position. So he lifted me up and I remember like TMI, but I remember like, you know, wiping myself after I'd done a pee and dropping the toilet paper into the toilet. And then all of a sudden I looked down and I was like, why is the toilet paper like by my knees? I was so confused as to like what it was possibly attached to. Um, And it turns out it was attached to my mucus plug. So Ah. strange. (laughs) So that was kind of like obviously started coming out, but I was looking at it going, what is that? And so my husband was like uh, in between kind of like laughing and crying and being in pain. And both of, and he's like, "What is that? What? Why? What is coming out?" And I, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "I can't deal with this right now." So then I walked out and I went to press the buzzer just to tell her like my mucus plugs come out, my water broke on the floor, um, and then I was like, "Okay, great! Like we're on here. Like you know, we're progressing." Um, so I pressed the buzzer and then a different midwife came in and I said to her, my water just broke. Um, and she goes, oh, I guess I'll have to clean that up then. And I just remember looking at her like, what, like, what, do you want me to do it? Like I can barely move. Like do you want me to get down my hands and knees and clean it up myself? So that was awful. So I just felt like I was such a burden being there um, and taking up space. And by that stage, I was getting really vocal. Um, So not the right kind of sounds, you know, that you want to make. It was just really screaming. And so I said to the midwife, like, you need to call Georgia. I need her here. She's like, she's going to miss the end of your birth. And I was like, I don't care. I need her here, like, right now. And um, went back to the toilet. And then the next thing, and I just had my eyes closed for pretty much most of the time. Um, And then the next thing I know, uh, I hear, Christina, um, it's Georgia. And I was like, where the fuck have you been? (laughs) And she was like, so swearing. And she's like, oh, it looks like we're going to have a baby today. And I was like, yes. Oh, my God. Finally, like someone believes me, you know, because it just felt like the whole time I was just like, why is no one listening to me? Why is no one believing that I'm like in labor? So Mm. that was such a relief. And she was like, let's get you into a birthing suite. Let's get you in the shower. She's like, the pool is, hasn't been filled, which made me so mad. I was like, I've been here literally for three, four hours at this stage. So I was just like, you've got to be kidding. Anyway, let it go, get in the shower. That was great. Um, loved that. And then I really got that urge to, to bear down and push. So we moved to the bed and then, then what happened? Then, yeah, I feel like then I feel like I kind of left my body at this stage. I feel like I went just somewhere else. Um, and I just remember them saying, you know, use your contractions. And I just thought, what contractions? Like it's constant you know, when you feel like your body just doesn't get a break. So I was like, I'm just going to have to, and I remember them saying like push. And I was like, I am pushing. I wasn't, I was just laying there. I was so stuffed. And um, 
So then kind of from there on, I had a bit of an out-of-body experience. Um, my head went somewhere else. Um, and I remember that the anethesist turned up who was like, it was seriously like a god had arrived. When he, it was like, <laughs> you know, the clouds opened and it was like, oh, you know, doves flying out. And he's like, I'm the anethesist. <laughs> and I was like, thank God you're here. Um, <laughs> I was like, my prayers have been answered. And um, and then he, they were like, oh, we're just going to do one final check just to make sure, you know, you're dilated. And I said, okay. And I was like, please don't be, like, please be at like seven centimetres. And they're like, you're fully dilated. I was like, no. And so they're like, you're going to have to push. You can't. I was like, oh, no. I was like, can I have the epidural? They're like, no. Nah. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So that was just another disappointment. And I think at that stage, like mentally, I was like, I'm done. I'm cooked. I give up, um, which I know is also like a sign of transition. Mm-hmm. And um, so then they were like, look, we're going to have to do an episiotomy because they put the um, – the little screw on Violet's head and they're like her heart rate's dropping, which I now know was just her normal heart rate. Like they're like, it seems like it's a little bit slow. Um, They're like, so, you know, we need to get her out. So that was shortly followed by an episiotomy with no anesthetic, um, which I would highly not recommend. Um, And then she was out. And I just remember the sensation was just like, giving birth to a hot octopus, you know? It's just like that flood of like hot blood and just limbs and the cord, you know, it's just like a massive just – that's what it felt like. It felt like giving birth to a hot octopus. Um, <laughs> and then it, I know it's so <laughs> a weird description. Amazing. I feel like that kind of summarises it really well. Um, and then I just remember being like feeling like I'd absolutely been hit by a truck. Um, they put her on me for a very, very short second and then they took her off to recess um, in, in the room um, and obviously immediately I was like, what's happened to her? She's not breathing. No one was kind of like answering my questions about what had happened to her, um, what was going on. My husband was just like, he was traumatised because he'd just seen me go through all this pain and then the episiotomy and he was very involved in the whole thing and a great support, but it's a lot. So he, um, yeah, I just said to him, like, you need to go and make sure that she's okay, like find out if she's okay. So, you know, they got her breathing and it was a minute that they had to uh, resus on her, which obviously when you're in that stage, you can feel every second. It feels like an absolute eternity. Um, and then she came back and they put her on me and I just remember thinking, like, who are you? Like, what's happened? Like, what's happened? I was so overwhelmed. Um, and I guess now, like, from listening to birth stories myself, it's, like, quite common when you've gone through trauma not to have that big oxytocin love bubble you know gooey feeling and just feel like quite you know I felt like it was quite an out-of-body experience and I felt very protective over her but at the same time it's having my second birth oh my god chalk and cheese so I just remember her being on me and then you know everyone like rubbing my stomach and getting the injection in the leg and I just remember thinking I just need everyone not to touch me I just want to be 
like alone with my family. Um, so that was like a lot. And then I just said to my husband, like, you need to take her. I need to go and have a shower. I just needed like 15 minutes by myself to recoup um, before we really had that kind of bonding time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was just like a lot. And I don't really think I really understood the magnitude because on paper it was like textbook birth, you know, no medication, minimal intervention, um, the right kind of amount of hours in each stage of labour. So those feelings and how I was feeling really didn't match up in my head, like logically. Mm-hmm. So I guess, and I really didn't understand. I remember someone coming to talk to me afterwards and just saying, you know, if you get any intrusive thoughts and I thought, I no, this is not like a thing, like, like I'll be fine, you know. Um, and then I just said, you know, we just need rest. So we went back to a room and it was just my husband, Violet, and I. My husband was asleep in the bed, in my bed, lol, because he was exhausted. <laughs> oh. This is after, <laughs> after, after I gave birth. He was, and I always give him a hard time about it. After I'd given birth, he was like, oh, do you mind if I sit down? My legs are really sore. I was like, your legs? I was like, your legs are sore. I was like, did you see what just happened? I was like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't tell me about your legs. And I always say it now. Uh, you know, when he's like, I should sit down. I was like, oh, your legs must be so sore. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then I came back in the room after being um, stitched up and he was asleep in the bed. I was like, are you actually serious? But no, he was an amazing help. Like he was so supportive. Everything I asked him, he did, but he also just had no idea what to do. And I had no idea what to tell him to do either. So he was a great help um, and a massive support to me. But yeah, we're both a bit like a deer in headlights. Um, and then we went home later that day and I remember the midwife, um, my midwife, Georgia, who I really liked, and she came to me and said, it was like an hour and a half after I'd given birth and she's like, how are you feeling? Do you want to go home later? And I just remember looking at her going, are you out of your mind? Like, I've just birthed a baby. Like, I can't go home. And then with probably in five or six hours after that, I was like, I need to go home mostly just because I felt so uncomfortable and I guess overwhelmed Um, and I guess all of the sounds and the lights and the alarms and the interruptions, you know, people coming in to check the bin or asking what food you want, all of those things, I was like, this is too much for me. Like I just need to be in my own space right now. Mm -hmm. So we went home later that night Um which I was happy with once we got home. You know, it was really nice to be around all your creature comforts. But pretty much as soon as I closed my eyes to get some sleep, I started getting the flashbacks from the birth, which wasn't great. Yeah. What was the main thing you were feeling um, trauma or not so great about? I get the, the episiotomy really traumatized me like I couldn't cut chicken for six for six months I know that sounds really bad but it was just like the slicing of chicken it used to actually make me feel so nauseous or just seeing someone cutting chicken I was like I just can't so I think it was like the mixture of the episiotomy and then also once I spoke to Georgia about it afterwards because we did a birth debrief 
once I spoke to her afterwards, I was like, it just, I just felt like I didn't, no one kind of, no one listened to me. No one empowered me. Um, I felt like I was constantly coming up against a fight or, you know, the feeling that I was putting somebody else out um, and just feeling like I really couldn't consent for myself or like make informed decisions. I felt like things were taken out of my hands um, because they weren't discussed with me. I wasn't given options. Yeah. And sounds yeah. like those midwives were incredibly disrespectful in a time when you're supposed to be worshipped. <laughs> I know, which I know now, you know, and I guess like for any first-time mum, you walk a lot, most of the time you walk into that space and you think, well, they're the professionals. They know. Do you know what I mean? But they don't know your body. They don't know your baby. They can't tell like what level of pain you're in. Um, so, you know, they can only go by, I guess, a textbook and every person's different. So, you know, for new mums and for birth partners, it's so important that they know, you know, what the different options are and that consent are given and that information is given uh, before decisions are made and that you're part of those decisions. You know, that was a really big thing for me. Yeah. So what did you do to kind of unpack and make peace with that birth in a way to then prepare you for your next pregnancy and birth? Yeah. So following that birth, I found it incredibly difficult to speak about, but I did make sure that I spoke to Georgia um, because I really felt like she needed to understand where my headspace was at, the midwife. Um, so I did a birth debrief with her um, and she said, look, I think it's really important that you actually put in a formal complaint um, just so the information gets passed on because, you know, they really need to get a good understanding of how mothers feel when they come into the space and it's really valid feedback. So I did that. Um, I didn't hear anything back, but I wasn't doing it to hear anything back. I was doing it to kind of get it off my chest. So that was good. Um, and then honestly, I kind of just tried to keep busy, um, which is not a way to fix things. Um, and it wasn't really until I tried to get pregnant again that all of those feelings and emotions uh, came up for me. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of happened nine months after Violet was born. Um, Neil and I got pregnant again and that was a pleasant surprise, um, but it was quite short-lived. So um, I had an early pregnancy loss at six weeks um, and I found that like incredibly hard and really devastating Um which is, you know, normal feelings, but I guess in my search to kind of deal with that, I started to ask around different people what they had done in terms of getting a better birth experience. Um, And I also started to see a psychologist. Um, It was during COVID times though, so getting an appointment with a psychologist was actually incredibly hard because the services were so stretched. Um, And obviously there was a lot layered into my postpartum because pretty much six weeks after I gave birth to Violet, that's when COVID lockdown started. So just trying to get really any kind of one-on-one time, FaceTime with family or friends was virtually impossible. Um, So that wasn't great. Um, So really dealt with the miscarriage just with my husband and I. 
three months after that, we got pregnant again. Um, I was really excited, had another miscarriage, which I was like, what is going on here? Three months after that, had another miscarriage. And by that stage, I was just like, are we going to be able to have any more children? Um, And I guess, you know, they tended to get a little bit easier, but it also just kind of highlighted, I guess, the stress that was in my body. Um, And after like numerous tests and them not being able to find a reason as to why I kept on not being able to hold these pregnancies, honestly, I think my body had just not healed from the trauma. Um, So I really feel like I needed to delve into that and explore that further before I felt like I was mentally ready to conceive again. Mm. So we thought we would give it a bit of a break, um, you know, take take some time. And I just thought, you know, what's six months in the whole scheme of things? Um, you know, it's not a lot. I know when you're trying to get pregnant, you know, you, you're watching the clock every month. Uh, you're very much led by dates and a very tight time schedule. But I wanted to do some tests and do some ovulation tracking. So I met with a fertility specialist did some ovulation tracking, which is always uh, confronting when you get text messages at work that pop up on your phone that say, Christina, tonight would be a great night to have sexual intercourse, um, which is obviously from the fertility specialist. But, you know, it almost looks like some sort of horoscope when it pops up on your phone from some unknown number. So I got a few people at work being like, what are these messages? So, I did tell a couple of people from work just um, so, you know, I could offload because that was very strange. Um, (laughs) But we did the ovulation tracking and, yeah, then they were pretty much just like, you know, your dates are off a little bit. This is when you want to be having sexual intercourse. So that's kind of like what led us on the path. And three months down the track, um, we were pregnant um, again. So I think we only did ovulation tracking for maybe like a month or two months. And then that stopped because of COVID. Um, And then we kind of like got pregnant by the time it was picked up again. Um, So that was quite lucky. And I only in that month, I had excruciating back pain. Um, Strange story. I actually went to get an MRI on my back just because my back was so bad. And I'd gone to see a doctor I don't usually see because I was just desperate and I needed to get an appointment and the appointments were all very um, long time uh, to wait. So I'd seen a different doctor, went to get an MRI, was laying there ready to get the scan, all ready to go. Um, And then the lady who was going to do the scan, she came up to me and she said, are you pregnant? And I said, no. And she said, oh, you haven't ticked this box on here that says that you're not pregnant. And I said, oh, I didn't even know there was a box. Like I didn't fill out the paperwork. My doctor did. And she said, oh, but you're not pregnant, are you? And I said, no, no. I said, I'm not pregnant. I said, I'm due to get my period today. And she said, okay, but you don't know. And I was like, no, 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 I know because we're not trying and we haven't had sex around ovulation. I was like, we're having some time off. And she said, okay. She goes, let me speak to my colleague. And so then she went to speak to the guy who was going to do the scan. And he said, I just want you to wait. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Like this appointment was so hard to get, to get a script, to come to see you guys, to get the referral. And now you're telling me you can't do it today. 
I was so mad. I was just like, what about if I just run to Pakistan? I'll pee on a stick and I'll run back. And they were like, no, no, no. Just wait, have your cycle, give it a week and then come back. I was like, okay. I was like, on the way out, I rebooked an appointment for the following day because I was like, I'm not waiting. Like I'll do the pregnancy (laughs) test, but I'm not waiting. Like, no, like I'm so desperate. So I rebooked for the following day, got a three pack of pregnancy tests on the way home. My mum was over because she was minding Violet and went to the toilet and I just thought, I'll pee on a stick. I won't be pregnant. Get my thing tomorrow. Carry on. Literally before I'd even pulled up my underpants, pregnant. I just could not believe it. I was like, oh, my God. I could have blitzed that poor little baby straight to the sun getting an MRI. (laughs) So then immediately I was like, oh, my God, the guilt. But obviously for me, I'm like, it's a sign something bigger is intervened, you know, to make sure that this baby is going to be okay and going to come earth side. And it was so weird because it was just like any stress that I had about having another miscarriage just disappeared. I was like, nah, it's meant to be like something else has intervened. It's meant to be. So that was really amazing. Um, And then the pregnancy, yeah, it pretty much, uh, it pretty much followed very similar to my first one. Um, but without all the pains, you know, your body kind of knows what to do. So, yeah, we found out that little Phoenix was a boy and that was really exciting to then have one of one of each um, on the way. And that was a really great pregnancy as well. Um, less kind of symptoms than the first, a little bit uh, more nausea this time around. I didn't really get nauseous the first time around, whereas I had Um, a little bit more nausea this time around. So that wasn't fun, but that was kind of like, I was like, it must be, it must be a boy if I'm feeling, you know, quite different. Mm. Um, Gestational diabetes, but I was all good because I already kind of knew what to, what to eat, what I couldn't, couldn't eat. So that was fine. Um, And yeah, so then I started talking to different people because obviously it brought up a lot of feelings and I really couldn't tell Violet's birth story without, crying like without breaking down in tears and I was like obviously I haven't dealt with this I thought I had but I haven't so I kind of just put out you know a question on Facebook you know with uh, sorry on Instagram with friends um, just saying has anyone had a really great birth and what preparation did you do and like five or six people came back all random like not connected and they all said that they'd done hypnobirthing and honestly before I knew what hypnobirthing was I was like oh it's really it sounds really woo-woo like it's not my vibe you know I'm very like matter of fact um so I wasn't really interested in that or calm birth um and then once I found out what it was I was like, these are all the tools that I did not have the first time around that I'm actually going to nail second time. So I actually looked into it and I'm a trainer, like that's what I do for work. So I thought if I can teach it, I'll learn it really, really well. So I started doing my hypnobirthing um, practitioner training um, to become a certified practitioner, which I now am. Nice. Yeah, so that's really like the tools that I kind of used for for Phoenix's birth. And I guess most of it is just really about 
putting your body into a deep state of relaxation, um, making informed, empowered choices, empowering your birth partner to advocate when you can't, um, making sure that you put things in motion to feel really supported because the baby's going to get looked after if the mum's looked after. But, like, as you know, like, the mum's care is so important um, during labour and postpartum. So I decided to get a doula for myself um, and I got Fiona Harrison and she is amazing um, and she does the best pregnancy massages out of fertile ground. So I had lots of massages with her. Um, Are you familiar with Fiona? No, I don't believe so. I'll have to have Uh, to look her up and check her out. Oh, she's amazing. So Mm -hmm. I was getting um, kind of lots of massages with her, which really helped me to like reconnect with my body. Um, I did like a birth brief with her. Um, I'd just kind of taken her through what had happened. Um, I then hired her to be at my birth just for me which was great. Um, And it really kind of gave me the confidence in advocating that if I couldn't advocate for myself, um, because, you know, you're very much like nonverbal in those late stages of labour, that she could do it for me. Um, Then I saw a psychologist for many months before I gave birth to really kind of unpack everything. The psychologist spoke to the hospital um, and we actually got a transfer of hospital because I just didn't want to risk running into that same midwife again. So we got transferred to Box Hill. Um, I spoke to the midwives at Box Hill. I explained to them. I kind of wanted everyone to know my situation and just to really be supportive of that um, because I was going public again, but I wanted that consistency with having a doula. And then I did my hypnobirthing um, as well. And I just made sure that I was more prepared for postpartum. So, you know, restock the freezer, make sure that I had someone to take my daughter on some play dates, you know, when I couldn't. Um, Just making sure that things were taken care of um, to take the pressure off myself. Um, And I guess kind of I did a lot of um, fear releases as well, um, which is part of hypnobirthing. And I guess that was a really important process for me. And that covered all kinds of things like the birth, um, postpartum anxiety, um, PTSD, my breastfeeding journey, which was incredibly difficult and the guilt that you kind of carry with stopping breastfeeding um, when you feel like you're not ready, your baby's not ready, but your body is just not having a bar of it. So, yeah, I feel like I had a lot to kind of get through, but the hypnobirthing, I just can't speak more highly of it. And I love teaching it just because if like new parents take a fraction of that, it's just going to, it can, it can just make such a difference. Um, so yeah, so Phoenix's birth was amazing. Um, he, I'd been getting Braxton Hicks, which I never got with Violet. I'd been getting, well, I didn't feel them if I did. Um, I was getting quite strong Braxton Hicks with Phoenix um, in kind of like the six weeks leading up to birthing him Um, and a few that would kind of wake me from my sleep, you know, that would like jolt me awake. Um, And I remember three weeks before I birthed him, 
I was fast asleep. All of a sudden I just sat up and I had this massive uh, surge and I was like, we're on here. Went downstairs, made myself raspberry leaf tea, you know, with double bag because I wanted to make sure it was real strong um, to really kind of encourage the, um, I don't know if that's a thing, but I wanted to encourage um, cervical ripening as much as I could. And um, I just was on the ball and I just kind of practiced my breathing exercises. And then I got to a full-blown panic that I hadn't bought anything. I wasn't prepared. My hospital bag wasn't packed. And after an hour and a half, the surges kind of stopped. So the next day I went out, spent like $700 on buying all the things that I needed to buy and prepared myself. And then after that, I was like, all right, I'm ready like when you are. Um, and then I just kept on getting the Braxton Hicks most nights, most nights, which really gave me an opportunity to practice the hypnobirthing, um, practice the breathing, practice different positions, um, and then that would kind of like die off. And then, yeah, three weeks later, which was when I was 39 and six days, um, I got a surge again, similar to that first one that woke me up in the middle of the night. And I thought, I'll go downstairs. It was like, I think, 2.30 in the morning. I'll go downstairs. I'll make myself raspberry leaf tea. I'll just practice. And if the surges still carry on after two hours, then I'll wake my husband. But my mum's an hour away. The hospital's an hour away. I was like, I don't want to get everyone up and ready. It's in the middle of the night if we don't need to do that. So I did all my practicing and then it kind of got to the two-hour mark and I was like, this isn't dying down, but it wasn't at all painful either. Um, I could still talk through contractions, so I gave the hospital a call and I just was like, "Um, I'm in labour, but, you know, it could go on for ages. I don't really know. It feels very, very different to the first one. Then I got off the phone to the lady. Oh, well, before I got off the phone to the lady, I was still getting surges when I was on the phone to her. And she said, look, you're having like three in 10 minutes. So judging by the fact it's your second baby, we do advise that you come in so you don't have the baby in the car. And I was like, oh, my God. And that's when it really hit me. I was like, I could give birth somewhere on the side of the road in the middle of the night. So... I called my mum, I put some puppy pads, a beach towel, a bucket, a vomit bag in the car and some rubber gloves and I was Love like, it. all right, <laughs> like we just, we got to get to the hospital. So woke up my husband when he came downstairs, he was like, who are you on the phone to? And I was, he's like, oh my God, you're in labour. So packed everything up got ready and Fiona had kind of advised me next time she goes, you know, just put the seat as far back as you can. She's like, still wear your seat back, but really kind of like hug the car seat. So be on your knees with your hands over the back of the seat um, because it will take the pressure off your back. So being really like on all fours. Um, And that was a huge help just in terms of getting to the hospital. And um, so we were driving, it was the worst fog um, I've ever seen. You could barely see past the edge of the bonnet of the car and being in the Yarra Valley, we saw two wombats ran across the front of the road. There was a fox. There was a kangaroo. My husband's (laughs) trying to drive like quickly but cautiously. 
I'm like, oh my God, we had to put Violet into the car because all of a sudden I'd said to my mum, come here. But because the fog was so bad, it was taking her ages to get to our house because she couldn't see where she was driving either. So I said, we're going to put Violet in the car and you're going to get her from the car park at Box Hill. And so that's what we did. So Violet was in the car and I just remember looking at her and she was just singing and I had my headphones in and I was listening to affirmations and the hypnobirthing soundtrack and I was really focusing on my breathing. Um, And I just remember like holding her hand and just thinking like, I need to be relaxed. I can't obviously squeeze her little baby hand um, when we're going there. So that really kept me grounded, just having to, you know, keep my hands really soft um, whilst I was, sorry, listening to the soundtracks. And, um, um, yes, I just remember holding her hand and she was just smiling at me and she was talking to me and singing. I couldn't hear what she was saying, but I think just looking at her really helped, um, keep me really calm. Um, And I only had probably five contractions um, in the car on the way to the hospital. So I thought, oh no, like, is this now slowing down my labor? Like, is it going to stall? Um, as soon as we got to Box Hill Hospital and I gave her to my mum, I stepped inside the building and I had the biggest surge and then it was on. It was like every 30 seconds. Um, I had to stop so many times before we even got there. They were amazing. Put me straight into birthing suite. Um, The midwife just said, you know, do you mind if I do an exam? Because I know you want to get into the water, um, into the pool. The pool was ready to go. We put the um, LED lights up. I put out all my lollies and my drinks. I still had my soundtracks in. And she said, can I just do one Um, vaginal examination and I was like yep absolutely and she was like great you're at seven centimeters and I was like oh my god like we are on here and yeah I just remember getting into the water and that was just incredible it was such a relief um just being in there and um yeah and it was so enjoyable then Fiona got there and um then, yeah, I, I was just really in the zone and I just wanted everyone to be really quiet um, so I could listen to my soundtracks and really concentrate. And I think just, you know, it's a bit like when you do yoga and you do that body scan and, you know, they say, you know, relax, right, you know, relax your eyes and relax your jaw, relax your shoulders and just having something like constantly going for you to focus on relaxing I found incredibly helpful. Um, I was managing to have little micro sleeps in between my surges, even though they were coming, you know, every 30, 45 seconds. My husband kept on saying, are you asleep? And I was like, yes, shh, silence. <laughs> so um, I was, yeah, uh, shushing everyone. And, um, and then there was a change in midwives. And unfortunately, the first midwife, who was so sweet, she left and she got replaced with another midwife who was also sweet but she wanted to talk to me and explain things. And I was like, I just need to stay in the zone. Um, And she wasn't actually qualified for me to birth in the water. So I didn't realise that even though they might have a birthing pool, the midwife might not be uh, qualified to to have you birth in the water. So by that stage, though, I'd been like on my legs for a couple of hours and my legs were going numb. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to get out anyway and go onto the bed 
and um, I kind of just like laid on my side and had a little recoup. Um, and then I was like, all right, I need to be upright just because my first birth, I was on my back. And, you know, now knowing what I know, like being upright can increase, you know, the pelvis size by up to 20%, which is huge. That's massive. So Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be upright um, for as much of the birth as possible, if not all of it. And, um, yeah, then I started to get quite wobbly. You know, I was going through that transition and I started to vocalise and it wasn't, it was more like screaming. It wasn't great vocalisation. And I just remember the midwife just saying, take all that, energy that you have that you're letting out and push it down and push him out and I was like okay so really I needed to hear that to kind of like refocus myself and that's exactly what I did so I pushed out Phoenix like in one go I know that's not what you're supposed to do when I got a second degree tear from it but (laughs) I was so determined to just have it over and done with that I was like he's coming out and he's coming out now So that's what I did. And he just went out straight on the bed. He was so beautiful and so calm and so happy. And he kind of like let out a little cry. So I knew he was all good. Um, And I just took him into my arms and, you know, they're so warm. It's like, like, like a little hot bread, you know, like a little hot Mm. sticky bread and they (laughs) smell incredible. And I just thought like, yes, like this is the oxytocin this is this is what it's supposed to be about so that was just so beautiful um and then you know all the midwives kind of like just left us which was great you know I wanted to have a physiological um what is it fourth stage uh third stage thank you um of uh of labor and not get the injection in hindsight you know you never know but uh, the placenta didn't come out for like an hour and a half. And then they started to talk to me about having to remove it surgically um, because it had been in there for a long time and it just wasn't coming out with all the different things that we were doing. And so I had to end up birthing that, which was painful. But again, I kind of like listened to my soundtracks. I was like, just push like you're having contractions and then it came out. So that was a massive relief. Um, and then, yeah, and then we spent the rest of the day just still in the birthing suite. We were really like left alone and it was just so nice just to have that bonding time, you know, without being, um, interrupted. And, um, yeah, that was just, it was just so beautiful. And so then, yeah, later on that night, um, you know, they said, oh, do you want to go home? And I was like, no, maybe I want to get some breastfeeding advice. And they just said, okay. And then someone came in and said to me, oh, you know, I'm going to teach you how to do the um, cross cradle hold. And I was like, nah, nah, I'm out. I'm like, this is the training that I had last time. It doesn't work for me. There's too much to think about. Um, And I'd actually uh, downloaded the Thompson method, which I had watched. And I just thought, I'm going to go home. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do what feels intuitively right. And I'm going to try the Thompson method. And that just worked. There was so much less to think about. It was so much more like of just getting, get out of the way of the baby. The baby knows what to do. Get out of the way. Don't force it. Don't hold the back of its neck don't you know try to shove a nipple you know wherever um it was pretty much just like let the baby 
guide you and the baby will know what to do. Um, and for me, that time, that worked really, really well. So my breastfeeding journey with Phoenix was a thousand times better. Like it was enjoyable um, and it was a beautiful bonding experience. Um, so that was, yeah, that was really nice. So it was such, wow. it was so beautiful to have such a healing experience, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That sounds so lovely. And and how did you feel coming out of that when you were kind of on the other side and you had a moment to catch your breath? What what were you feeling? My immediate thing that I said to my husband was like, I'd be so happy to never have to do that again. <laughs> and that was for two reasons. One, because I'd had a second degree tear and it bloody hurt because I'd had no no pain meds. And the second one was I just don't know how it could get any better than this. Um, so I just felt, you know, I felt calm and content and, yeah, I just felt so, like, relaxed about it and – yeah, it was just such a beautiful experience. I guess coming from like one where, you know, you've had quite like there's been trauma and there's been PTSD and there's been loads of anxiety post-birth to then having that real love bubble and feeling all gooey and feeling all, you know, warm and fuzzy. It's just like I was like, I don't feel like I need to do it again. Although, you know, then you go a few months down the track and you're like, I mean, maybe, but I'm so <laughs> tired. Like I just can't like, no, that's it for me. So yeah. yeah. But I guess I kind of just want mums to know that if they have had a bad experience or um, if they're first time mums, like there's actually so much that you can do, you know, to prepare your mind um, and prepare your body and also prepare your birth partner because it takes a tribe. And if your tribe don't know how to help you and you don't know how to help yourself, then it's just like, where do you go to from there? So, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. live and learn. And I guess, you know, that's the silver lining is now I can help other people because I've had those experiences. Yeah, great. Really yeah, good. Which so is not good. Yeah. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining me. I've loved listening along to your beautiful birth story. Oh, um, my absolute pleasure. Hopefully it will be um, – entertaining and enlightening <laughs> yes the the warm octopus is that what it was the hot octopus yeah hot octopus <laughs> noted thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of bloom birth stories if you enjoyed please subscribe and share with a friend and if you'd like to share your story reach out you can find me over on instagram at kate bloom see you next week beautiful